0: You're listening to a sermon podcast from Sovereign Grace Church in Bradford, Ontario. For more info, visit SovGraceChurch.ca. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 John. 1 John. Today I'm beginning a three part Christmas series on this book in the New Testament. Now, 1 John was written by the Apostle John, who, by way of reminder, he wrote five of the books that we have in the New Testament. The Gospel of John, the Book of Revelation, and the letters that we know as 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. They they didn't come up with original titles for these letters. Uh, John was in the inner circle of Jesus' 12 apostles, And he was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. John actually became known as the apostle of love because he speaks about love more than any other writer in the New Testament. The word love is used 26 times in 1 John. And even though this book is only five chapters long, that is more than any other book in the New Testament with one exception, the Gospel of John which John, of course, also wrote, which mentions love 39 times. It is safe to say that love is the central theme in the writings of the Apostle John. Now, when I say that, I have to define what I mean because the meaning of love today is very different than the meaning of love in Scripture. Today, love has nothing to do with truth. Uh, love is simply a matter of accepting and celebrating people for who they are, for who they define themselves to be and what they decide to do with their lives. But in the Bible, love has everything to do with truth. You Consider the most famous passage on love in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 13 when the Apostle Paul writes, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. Well, he also says that love... Does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. According to the Bible, truth and love are always meant to go together. You can't truly love someone if you don't care about how the truth is applying to their lives. Likewise, you can't say that you know the truth unless it it bears the fruit of love towards others. And John shows us this connection in his letter, first uh, John in chapter three. He says, "Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth, and by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Christians are to love in truth, and they are to know that they are in the truth by their love." And so as the apostle John wrote about love, he also wrote about truth. In fact, the reason why he wrote this letter, First John, is because truth was under attack among the churches that he is writing to. We saw this in First Timothy as well. For those who have been with us over the last several months, we've seen that, that one of the apostle Paul's great burdens for the church in Ephesus that Timothy was pastoring was that false teaching was beginning to infiltrate the thinking and the doctrine of the church. The same was true. With the churches that that, that John was pastoring, that he was responsible for, false teaching was present in most of the early church. But John, as the apostle of love, didn't just say, "Well, none of that matters. Truth doesn't matter. All that matters is that we love one another." No, he he defends the truth because he knew by conviction that only truth produces love. Now we don't know the exact nature of this false teaching but we can make several inferences based on what John says in his letter. Some people were saying that Jesus isn't the Christ. We were reflecting on this in the children's scripture reading time, that that Jesus would be the son of David. And, and, And that means that he was fulfilling the prophecies made to King David that he would have a son who would reign on David's throne forever. Some were saying that Jesus was not that man. They were also saying that, that how you lived didn't matter. You could just keep sinning and God would forgive you and you would be adopted into his family without issue. And most significantly for our purposes today, they were claiming that Jesus hadn't actually come in the flesh But instead he was a kind of spiritual savior who would come invisibly and mysteriously and and true salvation has come not by putting your trust in a person but by gaining the right kind of knowledge. They were denying the incarnation. And that is a word that I will be using throughout this sermon, the incarnation. The incarnation refers to the enfleshment of Christ. You think about the word carnal, Carnal means fleshly. Well, incarnation means in the flesh. They were denying that the incarnation was a historical reality. Now, John had strong language for those who taught that Jesus only came spiritually and not physically. For example, in chapter 4, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. These, These teachers of falsehood, John calls false prophets, because they were denying the incarnation they, they, they weren't listening to the spirit of God. In, instead, they were listening to the spirit of the Antichrist, the one who is, is committed, devoting all of his energy and attention to the destruction of the good news of the gospel so that no one would put their trust in Christ. Well, that is what's at stake when it comes to the incarnation. Your views on what really happened at Christmas reveal whether you are listening to the spirit of God or you are listening to the spirit of the devil. Stephen Wellam, in his wonderful book, God the Son Incarnate, writes, John is clear that anyone who denies the humanity of Christ denies the gospel. And that is why I have chosen to preach through 1 John, well, not the whole letter, but aspects of 1 John, this Christmas season. John helps us to see why the incarnation is so important. Christmas isn't just a sentimental time of reflection to think about God's blessings in your life and to think about God's love in in kind of a detached, abstract sense, Christmas is a, a, a time for us to reflect on the incarnation and what, what it reveals about the life-altering, love-producing truth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh to die as a man so that we could be reconciled to God. And John's reflections on the incarnation begin in the first four verses of this letter. And in my opinion, there are some of the most beautiful verses about the incarnation in the New Testament. And so that's where we're going to begin today. I'll be reading First John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. This is the word of the Lord. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. May be complete. The title of this sermon is The Life Made Manifest. The Life Made Manifest. We're going to have three points today. First, the word of life. Second, the eternal life. And third, the proclaimed life. First, the word of life. John begins his letter with language that we should be familiar with if we have read his gospel. He says, that which was from the beginning... If you've read the gospel of John, you'll know that he begins his gospel with very similar language. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. This is one of the most significant titles that John gives to Jesus in his writings. He is the word. We see it at the end of 1 John 1 verse 1 as well, when John calls Jesus the word of life. Jesus is the word. And as the word, he was in the beginning with God, and he was in the beginning as God. Now this reference to the beginning has echoes of another verse, another chapter 1 verse 1. The very first chapter 1 verse 1 that we have in the Bible, the book of Genesis. Where Moses writes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So when John says that Jesus is the word, and that the word was with God, and that the word was God, he's making a statement about Christ's divinity. Jesus was with God at the very beginning of creation, but he also was God at the beginning of creation. This is Trinitarian theology at its best. The Father and the Son, along with the Spirit, are one God, but they are also distinct persons. They can be with one another. The Father is God and the Son is God, but the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Father. Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. And together with the Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity lived in eternal fellowship as one God. John alludes to that in verses one to two when he talks about Jesus being from the beginning and being the word of life. But his emphasis in these verses is actually not on the divinity of Christ, but rather on his humanity. See how he piles up all of this sensory language in verses one and two. He says, we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, we have touched with our hands. What? what Reality John was overwhelmed with was that he was a personal witness to the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. John wanted to make it absolutely clear that the one who was with God and who was, who was God in the beginning entered time and space as a man. And he walked among us. The dust that he made covered his feet. The, the air that he created filled his lungs and and the men and the women whom he made in his own image, they were able to talk with him. They were able to see him and they were able to touch him. Words can't capture the wonder of this mystery. And I feel especially inadequate to express to you the wonder and the beauty of this reality. And so I quote the Dutch theologian, the great Hermann Bavink, who expresses this wonder well when he writes, it is completely incomprehensible to us how God can reveal himself and to some extent make himself known in created beings. Eternity in time. Immensity in space. Infinity in the finite. Immutability in change being being in becoming the all as it were in that which is nothing this mystery cannot be comprehended it can only be gratefully acknowledged there are truths in the christian faith that aren't so much meant to be understood as they are meant to be admired Yes, we we are to stretch the full capacity of our rational minds to, to seek and understand and to grow deeper into the truth. But at some point, we just have to sit back and stand in awe at the mystery of God and the wonders of the gospel. And that is certainly true of Christmas. The wonder of Christmas isn't the trees, or the wreaths, or the lights, or the presence. It is the incomprehensible mystery that the Creator God manifested himself in the weakness of a created vessel. All the imagery of Christmas is meant to be precisely that. It is meant to be imagery pointing to the reality of the Incarnation. Now, what does John tell us about this mystery? Well, he calls Jesus the Word the word of life. What do, what do words do? Well, words communicate a message. We, we communicate messages to one another by using letters and syllables and, and we put them together and we communicate with words. But, but here, the Bible reveals that the, the means that God uses to communicate his message to us isn't primarily found in letters and syllables, It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word. Jesus is God's message to us. Jesus came to give us God's word, yes, in his teaching. And we have that captured in the gospels and passed down to us through the apostolic deposit. But but primarily, Jesus in himself, Jesus in his person, he came not just to give us God's words but to embody God's word. God's message of love, forgiveness, redemption, and reconciliation is captured in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, when I go on YouTube once in a while, I'm not sure how the almighty algorithm determines this, but it's been giving me videos of military soldiers who are serving overseas. And they surprise their families unexpectedly at Christmas or whatever. And you, you see them running to, to, to their loved one who they haven't seen for months and months. And you can imagine that the, that the time when the soldier was away, was, they were writing letters, they were sending gifts, and all of that, 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 those are tangible, important, significant expressions of love. But nothing, nothing communicates love better than that soldier's physical presence with his family. He just shows up. And his family knows that he loves them, even though he doesn't have to say a single thing. Well, that's what God has communicated to us through the gift of his son. The coming of Christ into the world tells us more about the love of God than anything else that he could say or do. Jesus is God's word to us. John also says that Jesus is the word of life. He's God's message of life. He he, he has come to communicate and to pour out to us life because we, as the Bible teaches, we are spiritually dead apart from him. In fact, in in verse two, John calls him the life. He is the life. Jesus doesn't just have life. He is life. If, if you're alive, and I trust that you are alive if you're listening to me, you have life. If you have breath in your lungs, if blood is flowing through your veins and your arteries, you have life. But none of us can say that we are life. Life is only something that we possess. It's not something that we are. We, we have to receive life from the one who is life because we don't have life in ourselves, every, every breath that goes into your lungs is a gift from the one who is life. John refers to Jesus as the life several times in his gospel. In John 1 verse three, he says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. John 5 verse 26, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, verse six, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the life. And here in verse two, John is overwhelmed by the reality that the life was made manifest. Life himself became flesh and dwelt among us. When, when human ears heard Jesus speak, they heard life speaking to them. When, when human eyes saw Jesus walking on this earth, they were seeing life itself. When, when human hands touched Jesus, they were touching the very one who had put breath in their lungs. Jesus is the life. And that explains the resurrection It explains why after Jesus died on the cross and after he willingly submitted his spirit to the Father, he rose again on the third day because the grave couldn't hold him. Death couldn't extinguish the burning flame of his life because he is the life. This is the message of Christmas. The life was made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. The one who created all things and sustains all things by the word of his power, became a man, a real man, a man who could be heard and seen and touched. Truly, we say with Bavink, this mystery cannot be comprehended. It can only be gratefully acknowledged. John also calls Jesus the eternal life in verse two. He says, we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And we know that when John talks about eternal life, he's still talking about Jesus because he says that the eternal life was with the Father and made manifest to us. Eternal life isn't just a thing that we either have or we don't have. It's a person whom we either know or we don't know. When John saw Jesus He saw eternal life. When he was loved by Jesus, he was loved by eternal life. Eternal life isn't just a statement of the duration of time. It's a quality of life that is defined by relationship with God. You know, my my daughter Lily has been asking me a number of difficult theological questions over the last couple of weeks and uh, sometimes I marvel because she's asking questions and thinking things that I did not think until I was in my early 20s. But one of her questions was, Daddy, do people in hell live forever? And my first response as an as evangelical Christian committed to the scriptures is, yes, they do live forever. We don't believe it, that they're, punishment will ever be extinguished. They will be in hell forever. But when I thought about it a little bit more, I had to tell her, actually, Lily, no, they don't live forever because there is a difference between existence and living. People in hell will exist, but they won't truly be living because they don't have the one who is life. They they won't have Jesus, who is the life and the eternal life, they will exist forever, conscious and suffering under the wrath of God. But they will never know what it is to truly live. And that is why the book of Revelations says that those who are sent to hell experience the second death. It's the second death, they are banished not to eternal life in hell. But to eternal death in hell. And this is also why the book of Ephesians says that everyone who is apart from Christ is spiritually dead. That's not just something we can compartmentalize and say, we are fully alive except we are spiritually dead. If you are spiritually dead, you have never known what it is to be fully alive. No one who is spiritually dead has ever truly lived because they don't have Jesus. They don't have the one who is the life. But for those who are in Christ, by grace, not by works, not by self-righteousness, but by God's amazing, indescribable, mysterious grace, eternal life isn't something that you have to wait for. It's something that you have right now. Because you have Jesus. You have him. And by faith, you have been united to Christ. You have been brought into relationship with eternal life so that you can enjoy the goodness and the the amazing privilege of living with eternal life even now. And that existence will only stretch on for eternity and get deeper and greater as we explore the depths of God's kindness poured out to us in the person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus prayed the high priestly prayer in John 17, he he prayed that, that he would give eternal life to those whom the Father has sent him to give eternal life. And then he says this, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent when Jesus gives us eternal life, he gives us himself because he is eternal life. Eternal life is knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Now Christmas reminds us that we don't have to work our way up to eternal life because eternal life has come down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And this gift Listen, if if you are not a a Christian or you're spiritually agnostic, this, this gift is not one that you have to earn. This is not a gift that you have to work your way up to. It is a gift to be received by grace if you would but call on Jesus to be saved. Third, and a little bit more briefly, John tells us that Jesus is the proclaimed life. He is the proclaimed life Twice he mentions in these verses that this, this word which he has seen and heard and touched, this word he now proclaims to others. We testify to and proclaim to you the eternal life. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. John's reminding us that this word of eternal life isn't meant to be kept to ourselves. It's meant to be Proclaimed. God's message of salvation is meant to be shared. If you're a Christian, you know that. But what these verses remind us of is that when we share the word, we're not just sharing a bunch of theological propositions. We're, we're sharing a person. We're sharing a person. We're, we're giving people the good news that, that life itself, life abundant, life eternal, Life to the full was made manifest in our world. The first Christians knew this because they heard him, they saw him, and they touched him. They they tasted the sweetness of his physical presence with them, and they proclaimed him so that all could know him as well, including you and me. This was John's great desire. In verse three, he, he writes, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too we have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete for the apostle john there was no greater joy for him than to proclaim the word of life made manifest and to see others all around the world putting their trust in this word of life made manifest and joining into fellowship with him and the apostles because their fellowship is with the eternal God forever. They would enter into fellowship with life itself and be completely transformed by that relationship. I can only imagine the joy that the Apostle John would have felt if he were here and if he were with any other faithful local church in Canada or around the world, as he, as he sees us worshiping his savior, the one who he saw, whom he heard, whom he touched, being believed on and rejoiced in by people of every nation and language, People of different ages and backgrounds, people of different socioeconomic statuses, people of different family backgrounds, all worshiping the one, the life who was made manifest. Now we have the opportunity to do the same. We, we may not have seen Jesus with our physical eyes, but we have seen him with the eyes of faith. We, we may not have heard Jesus speak, but we have heard his word spoken to us through the holy scriptures. We may not have touched Jesus, but we have felt the touch of his spirit in the depths of our souls. And now what we have seen and heard and touched, we also proclaim. Like John, we have the opportunity to make our joy complete by proclaiming the eternal life who was with the father and made manifest first to the apostles and now to us. And and as we do, we take comfort in knowing that we don't just proclaim a message. We proclaim a man. We proclaim a man who is fully human and fully God. We proclaim a man who was from the beginning, but who entered time. We proclaim a man who was with the Father, but left his heavenly home so that he could be with us. When we proclaim Christ, we're not just offering heaven. We're offering life life to the full, life everlasting. Have you received this life? If you've never put your trust in Christ, the Bible says that you have never truly lived. And perhaps you've had moments when you have felt that emptiness and you have felt that life is not what it was meant to be. I think about Bono who sings, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Have you found what you're looking for? Well, you won't find what you're looking for until you have found Christ. And so I proclaim Christ to you. I I follow the tradition of the apostles, the, 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 the pattern that we see in the apostle John. I proclaim him to you, not just so that your joy may be complete, but so that my joy may be complete. I proclaim to you that the life was made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ, I proclaim to you that he lived a perfect, sinless life in obedience to God under the law to fulfill the law on our behalf. I proclaim to you that Jesus Christ died as our substitute on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. I proclaim to you that he rose from the dead on the third day so that death no longer has dominion over him. I proclaim to you that he ascended to the Father's right hand where he reigns forevermore. And he will return. The one who has come is coming again. And when he returns, he will come to judge the living and the dead. When the righteous will rise to eternal life, and those who are not in Christ, who are still in their sins, will be banished to an eternity of death. I proclaim to you, my friends, that eternal life is only found in the name of Jesus Christ. Believe in him Put your trust in Him that you might have fellowship with us and with God. And for my fellow Christians, for my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ who already have fellowship with us and with the Father and with the Son, this Christmas, let us remember what we have in Jesus Christ. We we have Him as our shepherd and as our Savior. We have him as our king and as our commander, but John reminds us that we have in him a friend and a brother. He has been manifested in the flesh, and that means that he has tasted our weakness. That means that he has felt the weight of our temptations. That means that he has suffered with us in our broken world, and because of this, we know that he he understands He understands our weakness. He understands our suffering. And because he understands, when when we wrestle with temptation, when we struggle with grieving in our suffering, we don't have to be afraid that he will look at us with frustration and impatience and anger. No, he, he looks upon us with compassion, sympathy, and love. And so don't be afraid to come to him don't let your sins keep you from running to him again and again and again. But, but instead, trust him. Come and receive him who is the life, who is eternal life itself, made manifest to us that we may have fellowship with his people and with God himself. Come and receive from him the eternal life that is reserved for all who are united to him by faith, that your joy and our joy may be complete. Let's pray together. Father, what a glorious mystery that we have explored this morning that the life was made manifest and he was seen and heard and touched and one day when all of us who are in Christ are in his presence, we will also see him, hear him, and touch him. How we long for that day. But until that day comes, we we pray for grace to see him with the eyes of faith, to hear him as we immerse ourselves in the word of God and to feel his touch in the depths of our soul that we also may proclaim to others the word of eternal life, that they may have fellowship with us and with you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.